Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Cafe Pavilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports, Peter Rusciutti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. If you've been out to dinner, drinks, or hung out with friends over the last couple of years, there's a good chance you've been in more than one conversation about the state of energy in Acadiana. Here on Out to Lunch, we've talked about it a lot too, and we finally come up with a great idea. What if we talked to people about the energy business who actually knew what they were talking about? <laughs> Rick Richard is chairman of Clean Fuel USA, an alternative motor fuel company based in Georgetown, Texas, and president of Empire of the Seed Consultants, consulting on energy projects in southwest Louisiana and the nation at large. Previously, Rick was chairman, president, and CEO of Columbia Energy Group, a $7 billion Fortune 500 company, in Washington, D.C., Rick was the legislative assistant for energy issues to U.S. Senator Bennett Johnson and was appointed by President Ronald Reagan as commissioner of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, sometimes known as FERC. Uh, Rick is the recipient of the Distinguished Service Medal from the U.S. Secretary of Energy for his role in creating economic opportunities in natural gas markets, and now he lives in Lake Charles. Rick, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. It is great to have you. Now, Jason French is the Senior Director of Government and Public Affairs at Chenier Energy. Chenier is a Houston-based energy company, primarily engaged in LNG-related businesses. In Louisiana, Chenier owns and operates the Sabine Pass LNG Terminal and the Creole Trail Pipeline. And between here and Texas, they've got about 900 full-time employees. Jason, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Now it's very easy and all too common these days to look at the price of oil and the layoffs in the oil field and be pessimistic about the future, but both of you seem to have real reasons to be optimistic. Uh, Rick, as recently as May 2016, you reportedly told the Lake Charles Rotary Club that Southwest Louisiana is on the verge of an economic boom. You reportedly said that the United States could be the world's largest producer of hydrocarbons by 2020 and that we here in this area stand to benefit from that surge. Uh, were they serving free drinks at the Rotary meeting or are you serious <laughs> about this? Well, serious. It's um, there's about 100 billion plus in announced projects in the Calcasieu Lake Charles area. It goes all the way, mainly uh, a lot of petrochemical, a lot of LNG like facilities. Like you hear a lot of Sassol. And, uh, yeah, Sassol. Yep. So they're, they're, it's a lot of feed products from petroleum uh, and natural gas and so it's uh, it's a major uh, boom in the southwest Louisiana and some of those facilities actually 
really benefit from the lower prices here of oil and gas? Yes, uh, a lot of times if you look at exploration and production, that they produce the feedstock for the petrochemical industry, which is about 5% of, uh, of the wealth in Louisiana, and it's a steady business. So at lower prices helps petrochemical. We'd like to see a little higher prices as well for our exploration production people as well. And, and it seems to me, I mean, when every time I talk to somebody from Calcasieu Parish, Cameron Parish, there's, uh, if anything, they're talking about a shortage of labor yes. in these folks. They, uh, what, uh, is, is something being done to help you out on that side? The trained workforce is a, is a big issue uh, because of the, all of the projects coming to, to fore at one time. So we're doing the best we can to get it. And also we're encouraging people that are in the exploration and production business that may have the same aptitude for these jobs to come from Lafayette over to Lake Charles. We're having a symbiotic relationship yeah. with Lafayette on a bunch of things, which we look forward to. And people have asked me this, and I never had the real answer, but where is, is there a sweet spot in oil and gas pricing that's good for both camps? Well, uh, yes, I think so. Uh, and Jason can uh, and speak to that as to LNG because we compete in the world, you know, for LNG. So natural gas pricing is at a stable level that aren't, uh, you know, very big spikes like right. they used to have, which I think is going to be the world to come. Uh, is is a good sweet spot in you know around the four dollars around maybe it'll it'll go up, but yep. I don't think you'll see the spikes. And oil. Uh, we're seeing oil up above $50 a barrel, right. which is encouraging. I think it was way too low, and, okay. and uh, we're backing off of some production in the United States. But that will level out, to, I think, to a fairly decent price. Maybe we're looking around $70 a barrel or so. And, Rick, you've been, how, you've been in the energy business how many years? Let's see, I started in uh, 1977, so I guess the math from 2016. Well, yeah, almost to, 40 years? Yeah, it's been, and I've seen a lot of ups and downs and trends up and down. So <laughs> what comes around, comes around again. Does this feel like some of the other downturns, or does it, it feel worse? Or? It's, a, it's a little different because the, the shale oil uh, uh, explosion uh, back when I was on the National Petroleum Council study in 1985, it was supposed to be like 1% of conventional fuels. Now it's like 30% in the United yeah. States. So it's a been a major difference there on the technology side producing more oil and gas. Man. Now, Jason, like most commodities, natural gas prices go up and down. Uh, uh, but they seem to have been more down than up for an awfully long time. Uh, notwithstanding, Chenier is investing heavily in LNG. You currently have nine projects under construction costing in the tens of billions of dollars. In Cameron Parish, your Sabine Pass project that's under construction is employing 4,500. That, that seems like it's about half the parish. Is, is Chenier making all this investment because even when the price of natural gas is low, there's still a pretty good margin? Or are you building now for a, a brighter, different future down the road? Well, it really has been the low prices of natural gas and the abundant supply of natural gas that we've been blessed with in this country that spurred the, the growth and the development in LNG. In Cameron Parish, as you said, we're building a uh, six train, we're permitted to build a six train facility, five trains under construction, a train like simply. A, like a train is uh, like this, like the size of a, pl a how much a plant would produce, is that right? I mean, yes, yeah, each, each train is simply a, a plant that takes natural gas, the same natural gas you would use in your home, and liquefies it, cools it to negative 260 degrees. Okay. What that does is it condenses it from a ratio to 600 to one, meaning that you can put the equivalent of about three billion cubic feet of natural gas on one ship that can then be delivered to uh, someone overseas in need of that gas. And then it gets reheated? Yes, it's, it's, it's reheated and then introduced into a pipeline network and then used in Europe and Asia and, and uh, other markets around the world. Now, it, it seems to me that oil is priced 
I mean, there are some differentials, but basically oil's a worldwide commodity with, and prices are pretty near each other around the world, but gas doesn't seem to work that way. Now gas, uh, traditionally in, in other parts of the world, in Asia and Europe, has been indexed uh, to oil. So it may be 12 to 15 percent of the cost of oil at that time, which is why gas prices have fallen around the world on many of these long-term contracts in Asia and Europe. Uh, when, when oil is at $120 a barrel, uh, the cost of gas in Asia is $17, $18 per million BTU. And here we're at a couple of bucks? A couple dollars right now. Wow. And, and that really, it, it has been an energy revolution in this country. As, as Rick pointed out, you know, we had gas prices that were up in $10, $12 oh, yeah, here in the U.S. And we've been fairly settled in that $2 range uh, for quite some time. It's because we have realized that we can, it's economically viable for us to get into the shale gas. It's given us 100, 150, 200 year supply of gas in this country based on different estimates. Um, and that's created the opportunity to create economic development here in the U.S. by exporting some of that gas to our allies around the world. And uh, when you export, if you export enough, would it raise the prices here in the U.S.? Or I mean, so one thing people ask. There, there have been a number of studies that have looked at that, and it has, you, you can't create billions of cubic feet a day of demand without having some impact on price, but it's relatively, relatively small. The studies show it's about a 10% uh, effect, positive okay. uh, uptick in price, but what it will do is exactly what Rick said, is it's going to stabilize prices, because wow. the six billion cubic feet that Chenier will be exporting by the end of the decade, is not dependent on the weather in Boston or yeah. how hot the summers are or how cold the winters are. It is, it is fixed. It is fixed demand that we can count on. And so it's going to really have a stabilizing effect on prices, which is good for producers in Louisiana. It's good for communities that rely on producers and you know, employees who work in E&P companies. Yeah. It, it has some real positive effects that and way. And even the Gulf of Mexico, you know, we th think of it as an oil province, but it's been really more natural gas than, than oil over the years, right? I mean, what they've been able to find out there. The, the, bo both oil and yeah. gas offshore, the, 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 uh, we're sourcing, our gas is sourced onshore and really has been a, a product of, okay. of the shale boom here. It's gas that'll be coming from the Haynesville shale in Louisiana, coming from Texas. And in fact, some of the gas will even come from as far away as Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Uh, Pennsylvania produces over 17 billion cubic feet a day of gas in the Marcellus Shale. And that's getting to you by pipeline? By pipeline. Pipelines wow. historically were designed to take uh, hydrocarbons from the U.S. Gulf Coast to the population centers of the Northeast. But with the Marcellus Shale in the Northeast, now pipelines are being reversed so that they can bring gas from Pennsylvania let's, let's, to the Gulf Coast. Let's talk about that. And uh, maybe, Rick, I don't know where to start with this, but it was only 15 years ago or so where we we're building these LNG facilities to bring in gas. And how amazing to go past the point where you don't need the gas to, heck, we're going to export it. It's, it's an incredible topsy-turvy pyramid turned upside down. Two th in 2008, Chenier had an import facility. So the brilliance of what they did was to reverse it in order to use that, a lot of that same facility to export and import. They can still import as well. And when I lived up in uh, New Jersey, I ran a local distribution company up there. I was in Columbia, had Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky, and a number of different states. We were always worried about having natural gas for the winter because we were mainly yeah. peaking customers and consumers were always concerned about the price. But it has been a phenomenal change of events uh, since since I've known it. I remember I was an FERC commissioner. We were talking about $13 gas and people overpaying. Right. And the, what uh, Jason mentioned about the reverse, all pipelines went north. 
And now with Marcellus, they've come down. <laughs> the, the contracts that you see with people like Chenier, it's amazing seeing some of these producers from the north selling gas south where they used to all sell within the same vicinity. Yeah. But the oversupply is really allowing that two-way flow of natural gas. So the infrastructure, a lot of it's already there. They're, they're reversing some of it or they're doing different ways to move the gas around. And Rick, you're, you're actually on the Chenier board. I'm on one of them. Um, That's why there's two company, maybe Jason can help us there. What is, there's two publicly traded companies in Chenier, right? Yes, well actually three. Um, oh, okay. And, and our corporate structure is, uh, Rick may be able to speak better to the, to the specifics of the corporate structure, uh, but there's the CQP board which, which Rick serves on. And then there's Chenier Energy Inc. There's Chenier Energy Inc. and then Chenier Energy Partners. Now, anybody that deals with Wall Street knows that Chenier has been, you know, I mean talked about and talked about for year, years and years. There's people that think, the company is is the, the second coming, and then others that think you know this isn't going to work out. What what's the rub? What is it that people uh, are concerned about in Chenier? Because you seem to have locked up a great position for the future. You know, I I think, and, and maybe Rick has other thoughts. I think one of the reasons is sometimes we're somewhat misunderstood uh, as a company that our the way our contracts are structured, um, people assume we're more susceptible to rise and fall of commodity prices. Right. And yes, well, there are some ties in our business to commodity prices, certainly. But the fact is, and one of the reasons why a relatively small company based in Houston with about 900 employees, we're financing two of the largest projects in the history of the United States currently. Sabine Pass is a $20 billion project, arguous, arguably the largest single industrial investment in the history of the United States. The second facility we're building in Corpus Christi is $14 billion. Wow. The reason we're able to do that, the reason we're able to find partners to help us finance projects like that, is because we have 20-year contracts. We have 20-year, 87% of the molecules of gas that will come through our facility over the next 20 years have already been sold uh -huh. to companies in Europe, to companies in Asia. Um, that gives us uh, a certain confidence in the future of the company. It gives us a certain confidence. We can project with virtual certainty the revenue that's going to be coming into the company in 2024. Now, Rick, you've worked for worked for RAN, um, you know, gas utilities, things like that. Uh, the business has changed so dramatically since you first came into it, particularly on the natural gas side. Uh, where do you think we're going for the next 10 years or so? Is, is this a a bright spot we're about to hit? I think so. Uh, I'm also on the utility board and they used coal, nuclear, okay. natural gas. And, and, and just take a stop for a second sure. there. On the natural gas, if you look at power plants, just like, I mean, just basically every power plant built for the last, in the last 10 years and every one on the, the drawing board is all natural gas. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, well, it's a lot cleaner than coal, I mean, and yeah. that's been the major push. A lot of it's been government, you know, about getting us yep. to more cleaner fuels. So I think the big push on, on new plants are going to be natural gas, but also uh, alternatives. You know, solar's coming in from different directions, wind. So you'll see a lot of renewables coming in as well. So a, a large utility that has a, a platform of different generating facilities, right. you know, you're, you're not going to probably see any new coal plants built. Nuclear is tough, you know, yep. to try to build new plants, so even though from a environmental standpoint, it's very good. So I think you'll see... Um, that fuel uh, mix, changing? yeah, the fuel mix changing a little bit, and and but if you're if you're progressively thinking about where you want to go, there's a lot of opportunities in the old monopoly utility business where you can be very clever and progressive. Wow! Now, uh, tell us about. Uh your clean fuels uh, business. What's all that about? It's a uh, prop. It's a propane as a vehicular fuel. 
Uh, a lot of people don't pay much attention to propane except that you th feel like it's always on a farm or you cook yeah. a barbecue with right. it, but it's actually a great vehicular fuel. Uh, we have a deal with uh, uh, UPS, the brown trucks are using propane now in Louisiana. And uh, I think they're here in Lafayette. I know they're in Whoa. Lake Charles. And but there's it's a it's it's a component of CNG CNG vehicles and you have propane. Propane, if you can pick up a tank, it's that mobile. Propane around the world, you know, India is is replete with propane bills. We just never really got it here. But now with CNG and that and solar, I'm um, electric. Right. Uh, we're seeing our our mobile fleet using all kinds of alternative fuels that they did before and not just gasoline. I'm amazed that hasn't happened faster, I guess. Uh, I mean, because the economics, the environmental. It, it's capital goods turning over. You know, it's, 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 it just takes a while for it to catch on, but the school buses are also being done by propane. So it just takes a while. It's like Tesla, when Tesla finally yeah. they ever prove it out that they can manufacture them, you know, you we'll see what happens. Now it's the time we do the checklist. It's a part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. Uh, what's the best day you've ever had at work? You know, I've had a, a lot of great days over, over my career, but the one that really kind of just informed the, the way I, I did my job going forward, um, before I came to Chenier, I actually worked for BP in public affairs. Oh uh, my. And was, uh, had some significant run. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that usually brings a, yes. a look of sympathy or, <laughs> but had worked in public affairs during the BP oil spill, and that was actually my introduction to Louisiana. Um, and, and there was one particular day it was a very stressful day, probably put in 20 hours. Was this like a couple of weeks after the spill? This or? was probably, yeah, two, probably about two weeks into the yeah. spill. Um, we had Diane Sawyer wanted to come into incident command and, and do an interview. And I was still relatively low on the totem pole at BP that day and was trying to get someone on the executive side to make a decision. <laughs> and I was, I was just stressed and I'm making all these calls. And I, I finally get a hold of, of a lower level and probably someone at my level in communications. And he said to me something that stuck with me and has stuck with me since. He said, do what you think's right. Worst they can do is fire you. And honestly, <laughs> it was a great day because suddenly I was liberated for the rest of the spill, the way I approached my work during the spill, and really the way I've approached my work at Chenier. Do the right thing. Do Were you fired? No, I was not. Oh, good. I right, was not. <laughs> a lot of times listeners are very concerned at the show. But it was, it, was, it, was <laughs> it was very liberating and has been helpful to me because when I get into a pinch, do the right thing. The worst they can do is fire you. So that was a... That is some pretty good advice. Yeah, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a good day. Now, Rick, what were your career plans back in college? Where'd you go to school? Went to LSU in Georgetown. Okay. Uh, I, I, I used to get a magazine called Madison Avenue Magazine in high school. It was pretty weird. I wanted to be a, an account executive up in New York. Like an, a, an ad agency. agency, okay. And when I got to LSU, it uh, didn't really pan out that well. The school is tremendously better than when I went back in 1970, 1970. So I decided I didn't really get a great education there. So I went to law school and got into law school and just ended up working for United States Center, and it was the Carter Energy Plan during oh, yeah, the, after the yeah. embargo. And so I just kind of fell into the uh, energy business and I've just never left it. Loved it all the time. But, but, but I wanted to be a tax lawyer for a while. Wow. Went to Georgetown at night. So I came back to Lafayette, and I was practicing tax law with uh, former Congressman Jimmy Hayes and a guy yep, named Steve yep. Durio. And uh, I realized that wouldn't 
meant for me is pretty dull. And the president called about to be a FERC commissioner. And so I, and even though I'm a Democrat, they needed a yeah. Democrat for the commission. So I went right. up and did that. And that's when we unbundled pipelines to allow the market to develop oh, for a futures was, market. What was in that, Africa. like 78 or what? It was uh, 80, 81. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, 82, 83. That's right, right. And that was my goal, serving on the Hill during all the stuff, is how do you create a futures market like they had in, nat in oil? And I think it's led to a lot of this national market in gas, which they didn't have before. So that's how I... It was a regulated price for gas It was regulated, and the, then the Congress slowly deregulated it. They had a saying by independent gas producers, stay alive till 85. Yeah, right. But then in 85, there's a glut of natural gas, so the prices actually dropped. But but you still had to ask the FERC to move gas every time you moved it. And you can't have a futures market if you don't have the ability to transport at will through contractual basis. So we unbundled that so parties could, producers and end users and pipelines could make deals so they could then have a trend of see where they get natural gas, the futures market natural gas, which led to posting and, and it's led to the ability of Chenier actually to move gas out of the country while they can buy gas up in Pennsylvania right. and move it down because they can sign a long-term contract through two business entities to have to make that market. Before, you'd have to ask FERC, you'd oh, never get yeah. it done. We love FERC, I, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but we liberated them to allow this to happen when I was there. So we're very happy that Rick decided not to be a tax attorney. That's <laughs> right, I, but I Rick's guess, happy but too. Yeah, I am, I'm very happy. Wow, you know, but you think of the 40 years when you were there at FERC and Senator Johnson and such, natural gas was, was handcuffed, yes. you know, and yes. I think Back then we were burning a lot of it off too, right? Yeah. I mean, looking, for, looking yeah. for oil. I mean, could you have ever dreamed that you'd be sitting on the board of an operation like Chenier? I mean, that wasn't even... Oh, no, I, I just, uh, they, they had a saying, it was firm, fixed, and forgotten, so you take a contract. <laughs> but they were regu the prices were regulated, so every producer was essentially a public utility, cost of service, and all that, and it's a fool's paradise. You, 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 you made the price which you thought it should pay as a cost of service, but no one would drill. So it was cheap, but no one would go drill. But the intrastate markets proved you could, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma. Sure. So the net creation of the national market with no price controls has allowed the United States, in my opinion, now with the, the removal of crude oil export uh, provisions, uh, negative provisions, it's we're in the world market now and we can play as business people to, I think, do better for everybody. Well, let me ask you both something. If we were to you know, talk to other tables here at the restaurant, people would tell us that Energy is, you know, in dire straits and South Louisiana was going to have a difficult time for decades and such. But you're coming at it from a very different angle. First you mentioned the ability to export oil and now the ability to, you know, really export natural gas. I mean, what do you think the shape of energy will look like in, in South Louisiana? going forward, be a different kind of energy business? I think you'll still be a lot of, uh, heavily involved with oil and natural gas. Uh, we have one of the best solar uh, abilities in the United States as far as incentives and stuff to do that. But I think it'll all develop over time with uh, uh, continue to develop like it is with alternatives. And like the shale, who, whoever predicted shale? No. I mean, shale just boomed and made possible a lot of the other companies. So I, I think that there'll still be a lot of oil and gas and uh, manufacturing, petrochemical and such, which has always lent a lot to the Southwest, you know, to Louisiana. Sure. I, I, I think people see the national headlines about oil prices and where the energy industry is, and, and, and maybe some people don't recognize how different the story really is here in South Louisiana. Rick has cited some of the investments. There are 
eight projects that have publicly declared their investment on the LNG export side. That's $81 billion of investment. Let me put it in perspective. What Chenier is spending in Cameron Parish, Louisiana, well, the most southwestern tip of the state, we're spending $20 billion. If we were building the Superdome in Cameron Parish, the eyes of Louisiana, the eyes of the country would be on what we were doing. Sure. We're building the equivalent of 30 Superdomes in Cameron <laughs> Parish. So sometimes billion the oh, The Saints I, have got to win in one. Right, right. <laughs> I think most people are focused on the, the what we call the upstream side of the business, which is really going to have a pretty tough time in here and such. But you're you're getting a broader perspective, and if we could get people to understand that a little bit, I think that would change some minds. Do you think some people will? I think you mentioned this, Rick. Uh, those people that worked on the upstream side and maybe are having some employment problems now, they have a lot of the same skills that you need on, on, on Jason's side, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, we, we once had a website I tried to develop one, it's called energy.com. It was an abject failure. Most Great people, website, though. Yeah, but yeah. abject failure. Because <laughs> most people don't wake up every morning and go, oh, how's energy doing? Do they flip a switch, they put gasoline in their car? Right. But it's all those processes that's midstream that create that product for customers to have. They just assume it came out of the ground or electricity floated down from the sun. And <laughs> And it's, but there's so much cool stuff. I think the energy world, all facets of it, are just unbelievably going to be fun in the next decade. So it may not have been, it's not going to be your, your dad's energy business, but it's probably yep. going to be more interesting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Richard, Jason French, I started off today's show by saying it would be good to hear from people in the local energy business who could get away from conjecture and dire forecasts and shed some light on the subject. From an expert perspective, you have both certainly delivered on that. This has been an enlightening conversation. I think I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast version of this show to absorb all of this. Thank you both for taking the time and considerable effort to come from Lafayette and Lake Charles, Rick, uh, and Houston, Jason. Uh, to join me today on Out to Lunch. It's been really great. Thank you. Thank you Merci beaucoup. Ah, <laughs> there we go. Back in town. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Rick Richard, the chairman of Clean Fuel USA and president of Empire of the Seed Consultants, and Jason French, senior director of government and public affairs at Chenier Energy. You can find out more about Rick and Jason's energy expertise by following the links on our website, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Ann Christian is our researcher. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we look like, and I imagine you're curious at this point, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Gwen O'Quinn. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, it's acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette offers a complimentary airport shuttle within a three-mile radius, reaching downtown shopping and local restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 
88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank with locations throughout the state including Lafayette and Lake Charles. Providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.